The Restless Heart Podcast, Episode 12, Memento Mori. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory forever. Hello, and welcome to the Restless Heart Podcast. My name is David, and I'm by myself today. Nessa and I unfortunately didn't manage to meet up this week. Now, I hadn't intended on recording a solo episode today, but the liturgical calendar this week has got me thinking. Benjamin Franklin is often quoted as saying that in this world, nothing can be certain except death and taxes. Well, each year in the United States, we have Tax Day, the day by which you have to remember to have filed your taxes. Incidentally, next year, it's the day after my birthday. But in the liturgical calendar of the Catholic Church, we have All Souls Day, and it's the day on which we remember and pray for those who have died. The title of this episode is Memento Mori, which is a Latin phrase which means remember death. It's a phrase that's been used throughout Christian history to remind Christians of the transient nature of this life. We are all going to die. Doesn't matter how rich you are, doesn't matter your race, your intelligence, your gender, we're all gonna die whether we like it or not. So today I wanted to memento mori, to remember death. And specifically, the death of my father, who died in July 2015. Now, 2015, that was a very eventful year for me, and unfortunately much of it was less than pleasant. In fact, I think I can say without exaggeration that 2015 featured some of the most painful experiences of my life. So let's step back in time. During the summer of 2015, I spent the 4th of July on Whidbey Island near Seattle. It's a truly delightful part of the world. I was staying with some friends, and we had a wonderful time. On Independence Day itself, we spent the day by the pool, and in the evening we had fine food, board games, and it was followed by fireworks at the beach. I don't quite get it, but Americans really do love blowing stuff up on Independence Day. The following morning, for some inexplicable reason, virtually everyone in the house woke early, and we all went for a three-mile run. Since we were up early, and it was the day after a national holiday, the island was pretty much deserted. Apart from a few deer that we saw, we pretty much had the island to ourselves. We got to run along by the water in the crisp early morning air. It was, it was really beautiful. We got back to the house, and we had breakfast. And it was then that I received a message from my family back in England, asking me to call. A knot began to form in my stomach. I had a suspicion as to the reason. I excused myself from my friends, and I went out to the car where I called my mum. On that call, she confirmed what I had feared. My dad was dying. Because you see, my dad had been diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. It's a type of cancer. And he'd been diagnosed with it several years earlier. After multiple rounds of chemotherapy, his health had actually seemed to be under control. 
But in recent months, things hadn't been looking so good. And he'd been going back for more treatment. And infections had started to become increasingly common, um, necessitating some rather speedy trips to the hospital. One of the consequences of this kind of therapy is that it kind of destroys your immune system. So infections are more common and more dangerous. Well, my mum said that my dad had suffered yet another infection. But unlike the previous ones, this one was certain to kill him. There was nothing more that the hospital staff could do for him in terms of fighting the infection. And they had said that he was unlikely to last anything more than 24 hours. After hanging up the phone, I took a few moments to compose myself and then I went back into the house. I said goodbye to my friends and I started on my way back to Seattle. As I drove back to Seattle, I left messages for my colleagues. I let them know what had happened and told them that I'd be incommunicado for a day or so as I traveled back home. My sister, who was back in England, had made it to the hospital by this point and while I was waiting for the ferry, on Whidbey Island to take me back to the mainland. We spoke on the phone. And then she put her phone up to my dad's ear so that he could hear my voice. If you've never had this experience, it's very strange. I mean, what do you say to your dying father? What do you say if these might be the last words that he will ever hear from you? Even though I wasn't sure if he could hear me, I've always been told that hearing is the last sense to go before you die. I took a few deep breaths and began. I told him that I loved him. And I told him that I forgave him for anything he had ever done. And I asked his forgiveness for anything that I had ever done to hurt him. My dad and I, we had had some tense years in our relationship. At the time of his death, things were actually very good between us. But... There had been a lot of water that had passed under that bridge. I told him to let go of all hurt and anger and to simply trust God. And lastly, I told him that I was on my way and that I'd see him again soon. I arrived back in Seattle. I walked through my front door and half an hour later I was walking back out again with a packed bag. I caught an Uber to the airport where I bought a ticket for London on a flight that was leaving in a little over an hour's time. It was very strange sitting in the airport waiting for my flight and eventually I got on and began my journey back to England. I didn't make it back before the end. My dad died while I was still somewhere over the Atlantic Ocean a couple of hours away. By the time I landed in London, there was nobody left at the hospital in Oxford where my dad had been, so I caught the train back to my mum's house. It was good to be back home with family, but with project deadlines looming and having constant staffing issues at work, I had to continue my job while I was in England. And I was actually rather grateful for this. It actually gave me something on which I could focus Given the fact that my dad had suffered a long illness, the funeral arrangements were mostly taken care of. There wasn't actually a whole lot to do. Only a couple of technological tasks were left to me, such as closing down his Skype account and his Facebook page. Unfortunately, 
Some of my father's arrangements included bombshells which I had to deliver to the rest of my family. The worst of which was my father's stipulation that my mother wasn't allowed to attend his funeral. They had got divorced when I was 16. And this exclusion was something which we all took very hard. The funeral itself took place a couple of weeks later. I would like to say it was a cathartic experience, but it really wasn't. I found it rather hard to fully accept the reality that my dad was dead. And I think this was because I hadn't got to see him in the hospital or be there when he died. And not only that, dad had stipulated that there would be no viewing of the body. And unlike many funerals here in the United States, there wasn't an open casket. Which is funny, because that was something that I always thought was slightly strange in America. But after going through that experience, it makes much more sense to me. After the funeral itself, those who had been selected by my dad accompanied his body to the crematorium. It was one of my uncles, a cousin, my stepbrother, and myself. When we arrived, we followed the coffin into the chapel. A few prayers were said by the priest, and then it was time to leave. Before I left, I went up to the coffin just so that I could have a final moment together with my father's body. I touched the wood of the coffin gently with both hands, and I found myself repeating the last words that I had said to him, that I was on my way and that I'd see him again soon. I flew back to the States a couple of days later. I wasn't going to be in Seattle for very long, only about 24 hours. The day after I landed, I was going to fly out to San Diego to help out with the Steubenville Youth Conference, which I do each year. However, I'd made sure to schedule a meeting with my pastor before I flew out again, because <laughs> we had a lot to discuss. I drove to the church and met Father Michael. And I greeted him actually with the same greeting we do in the opening of this podcast. I greeted him with glory to Jesus Christ. Which was an odd thing to find myself saying, given the past few weeks. As we settled into our chairs in his study, and I took a sip of my coffee, Father Michael opened up with a rather probing question. He said, You've been through quite a lot recently. So, where has God been in your life this last month? I took another sip of my coffee and smiled, because I knew my answer. He's been with me the whole time. In fact, as strange as it is to say, he's been more present to me, more concretely present, than possibly any other point in my life. All this time... Jesus has loved me and tended to me through my friends. You see, in the story that I've told thus far, I've left out a very important thread that was present throughout. So going back to Whidbey Island, that was where I found out that my dad was dying. And I had been staying with friends and some friends' parents at their vacation home. When I told them that my dad was dying, their first response was to pray with me. Pray with me in that wonderful, extemporaneous Protestant style. See, from the first moment of finding out about my father's imminent death, 
God sent me ministering angels to lead me in prayer. When I got to my plane in Seattle and sat down, I sent a few text messages to some of my friends, letting them know what was happening and asking them to pray. By the time my plane touched down in London, my phone was full of messages from friends offering to help in any way they could and letting me know that they were praying for me, for my dad and for my family. And this would be a constant motif in the coming months as the word spread. I received a steady stream of messages via phone, text, email, friends checking in, asking to see how I was doing, inviting me to come and stay. Friends with whom I hadn't spoken in years began to reach out. Friends from school, even ex-girlfriends, and ex-colleagues, they all came out of the woodwork to let me know that they cared. One such person was my friend Scott. He had been my best friend when I was 12. We bonded through our mutual love of professional wrestling, WWF as it was called back then. I received a message from him while I was at the reception after Dad's funeral. He had seen the announcement of Dad's funeral only a few minutes before the funeral itself was about to start. He knew he wouldn't be able to get there in time, so he sent me a message. I was really touched that he'd even considered leaving work to come and join us. After the funeral, we chatted a little bit online, and he invited me and my mother to the pub that evening. And this was exactly what we needed. Rather than staying home in shell-shocked numbness, we got to catch up with an old friend and meet his family. So, despite the difficulty of the funeral itself, the day actually ended rather wonderfully. And Scott's thoughtfulness didn't even end there. He continued to reach out and stay in contact with my mum after I had returned to the US. As my friends reached out, there was a very common feature in most of their messages. Text after text said something along the lines of, and I'm going to offer a rosary tonight for your father. Masses, liturgies, vespers, rosaries, chaplets, holy hours, they were all offered for my dad. And I can't describe how much this warmed my heart to know that my friends were praying for him. Dad had always had a rather tortured relationship with the Catholic Church. Yet in death, he received all that the Catholic Church had to offer. It reminded me of Jennifer Fulwiler's book, Something Other Than God. There's a section where she talks about praying for the dead. She describes it as like adding water to a stream that is going to eventually float our lost friends home. Once I got back to the US, the steady flow of letters and mass cards continued. They just refused to abate. I even received several care packages from friends, filled to the brims which they included purposefully to make me smile. Photos, candy, even ninja boots. Yes, ninja boots. In Psalm 84, we read this. Blessed are the men whose strength is in the Lord, as they go through the valley of Baca, as they go through the valley of weeping, literally. They make it a place of springs. Although this was one of the most excruciating periods in my life, I can honestly say that through my friends, I've never felt more loved. I was in a valley of weeping, a valley of bitterness, but it was transformed into a valley of sweet springs. I've written this story on my blog before, 
But I thought it would be a good idea to take this opportunity around All Souls Day to tell this story. And also just to say to all of those of you who reached out to me, a huge, huge thank you. I'm honored to be called your friend. In that darkness, you showed me light. During my pain, you carried me to the divine physician, like the friends who took the paralytic to Jesus and lowered him down through the roof. In a time of my life when God could have seemed very absent, he was instead ever-present. You were his hands, you were his feet. And I'd like to end by reading a line from As Kingfishers Catch Fire. It's a poem by Gerard Manley Hopkins about how Christ can be seen in other people. He says this, For Christ plays in 10,000 places, lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes not his, to the Father through the features of men's faces. So thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. I know it was rather serious material. I wanted to share this story in audio form for a few reasons, to remember my dad, to thank my friends for being amazing, and for anyone who's going through a tough time at the moment, to encourage them to keep their eyes open to the different ways in which God might be speaking to them and taking care of them. Anyway, hopefully Nessa and I will be able to get together and record next week. Uh, in the meantime, please like, share, subscribe. You can find us in Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, that's the new one. And you can always contact us through the website, restlesspilgrim.net, and you can tweet us at David and Nessa. You made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts will wander restless until we rest in you. And may the souls of the faithful departed, through the mercy of God, rest in peace. All you holy angels and saints, pray for us. <laughs>